0: PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Just to say it's not really sponsored by anyone, it's sponsored by us, LogRocket, and we're giving it away for free. The podcast is free, the product is not free. There's a free trial, we could split hairs about whether or not that's free to you, but anyway, that's it. There are no more ads. If you're interested and you want us to know that you came from the podcast, please go to logrocket.com slash podrocket. If you don't care, LogRocket.com works just fine. Thanks. Welcome to PodRocket, the LogRocket podcast. I'm Brian, director of content at LogRocket, and today our co-founder, Ben Edelstein, interviews Zoltan Ola, CEO and founder of Chromatic, which maintains Storybook. Ben and Zoltan discussed front-end testing, the philosophy of component-driven development, and obviously Storybook. I'm really excited about this episode, so let's jump right in. So now
1: I'm really excited to introduce Zoltan Ola. He's the CEO and co-founder of Chromatic. How are you today, Zoltan? I'm great. How have you been? I'm doing pretty well. Really excited to have you here and be on episode two of our podcast. So thanks for uh, bearing with us as we had our bit of technical difficulties before this. But, you know, I want to jump right in. And I think probably the project that most people know best of yours is the Storybook Project. And so maybe you could give us a quick introduction You know, what is Storybook and, you know, how does it help developers build better web applications? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Storybook
2: is a component explorer or an isolated component development environment. And it's an open source project that teams install into their code base. And it reaches into the code base and pulls components out and puts them in sort of an an IDE of sorts where developers can work on them in isolation. Storybook gets its name from the idea of stories, which are essentially kind of test cases for components. They're sort of pure JavaScript objects and their data that feed into components. And it forms the basis for this idea of you know, component-driven development and building components in isolation, outside of the main application that they're used in. And so teams these days are, you know, building all sorts of things in Storybook from design systems to component libraries and component packages all the way to entire apps.
1: I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that it's a development environment for components. So, is it something that's only usable for like pure components or can you have components that depend on outside data? Or, you know, have any kind of logic besides just display logic?
2: Yeah, it's best used for pure components. But there are ways that you can mock those um, external data sources that are a little bit more complicated. So you can use it that way as well. But primarily, people use it with pure components. And that aligns with the sort of development process and philosophy that Storybook is being built around.
1: And how do you write these stories? You mentioned that they're objects. So tell me a bit more about if I have an existing set of components and I want to get started with Storybook, mm-hmm. how do I encode the logic that displays the components within the development environment?
2: Yeah. So Storybook has a little format and basically you just take a component, render a, a version of it with some data and you know, pure JavaScript. So it's essentially instantiating a version of your component with that pure data.
1: I see. So basically, I'm I'm writing more or less React JSX and instantiating the components in the same way I would use them within my application. That's right. But they're just displayed within the storybook UI. That's right. You know, I'm curious, you said something that I thought was interesting. You said the philosophy of component-driven development. Mm -hmm. And there was a blog post that I read by uh, your co-founder, Tom, about this concept of component-driven development. So Could you explain this concept and explain what does it mean for teams looking to improve the collaboration between design, engineering, and product?
2: Yeah. So UI development is special for a number of reasons. But from a technical perspective, the reason I'd say it's special is because it's really messy. You're dealing with output that's really difficult to validate without a human being kind of looking at it. And you're also dealing with user input that can be kind of unpredictable and messy, And so that's where this sort of distinction between pure components and impure components really helps. And with the philosophy of component-driven development, it is sort of really built around the idea of isolating all of this sort of messy UI-based stuff into the pure component layer. And then below that is really just plain old software engineering. You're dealing with inputs, transforms, outputs. They're easily marked, easily tested. It's all sort of pretty standard stuff. So then when you focus into this world of pure components... And if you're able to separate out your UI concerns that way, then you start to be able to build components by themselves outside of any other sort of harnesses outside of your main application. And then what that means is you can parallelize the entire UI development process and have different teams and different people responsible for building different parts of the UI, potentially at completely different times and then piecing it all together at the end into you know full application pages or like complex workflows so it's a process that takes the sort of messy and entangled UI development workflow that you know used to exist with jQuery and rendering entire pages on the server and then connecting sort of jQuery to it later, and turns it into more of a, a process that's analogous to, say, the way that auto manufacturers build cars out of assemblies and sub-assemblies, and they're built in different countries, and then they all just sort of plug together seamlessly.
1: And how does that fit into the workflow? Like, I know a lot of teams are—they do their prototyping in a tool like Sketch or Figma, mm-hmm. and they build fairly robust prototypes of components before then having developers turn those into code. So, does Storybook fit into that workflow, or do you have any maybe future plans down the line to better integrate Storybook into that? component building workflow? Yeah, I mean, it it sort of really depends how teams do
2: it. You know, a popular way of doing prototyping is with a tool like Envision, where you're essentially stitching together designs that are flat image files. And then you can get sort of more and more sophisticated. And yes, you can prototype in Storybook. The great thing about sort of doing it that way is you're able to use actual production components and pull them out of your real life application and kind of build up prototypes that way. I'd say there can be a little bit more work doing it that way. There's sort of two ends of a, of a spectrum, right? On the one end, you have essentially designers building prototypes out of images. And then on the other hand, you have full-on software engineers building prototypes out of existing components. And then in the middle somewhere, these tools like Framer, they're starting to emerge where it's sort of, you know, kind of React code, but not really production React code, but sort of somewhere in between.
1: Got it. And now I want to talk about Chromatic, this is the company you founded and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys are the stewards of the Storybook project, but also building an additional set of tools for front-end developers. So what are you working on now and how does it relate to Storybook? And then I'll ask in a bit kind of where things are going and what you're going to build in the future, but maybe first we could talk about Chromatic.
2: Yeah. So Chromatic started initially out of our sort of pain around UI testing. And I mentioned this earlier in our conversation, UI is is traditionally difficult to test. The tools are brittle, they're hard to maintain. And so we saw a real opportunity to plug Storybook into sort of an automated cloud-based framework for taking screenshots and comparing them between changes and being able to really zero in and make humans efficient at bringing what they do best when it comes to UI testing into the process and just minimizing the time that, that folks need to spend doing that. So that's when we started Chromatic that was, you know, the first version of it and that was also the company that we built and it's a cloud-based service and Uh, funds from chromatic feed directly into storybook open source development and just to quickly give you a little bit more history you know as customers started signing up to chromatic and we learned more and more about what folks do and their development workflows we realized that there is also a ui review process that teams do where designers and product people come into the development process usually later on in the process and give their stamp of approval and it's less about testing, it's less about identifying things that have broken and more about identifying things that aren't right, you know, as per the spec or the design. And then Chromatic also evolved into a hosting platform of sorts for Storybook and the components
1: that are contained within it. So if I'm using Storybook and I've already, you know, I have my component catalog in Storybook, I have stories written for my components, how do I get started with Chromatic and what will it do for me out of the box if I'm already a Storybook user?
2: Yeah, it's a really simple installation. It's one command that you include in CI or a GitHub Action now that you run. That basically builds your Storybook, uploads it to a chromatic platform and kicks off any tests or UI review that you have configured. And it basically turns the single player experience of Storybook running on your local machine into a collaborative multiplayer experience in the cloud where you can share links to, to
1: folks who aren't even developers and get them into the process. And if I'm understanding correctly, Chromatic helps with the testing of my my components and helps with detecting unexpected regressions. Yeah. One question, you mentioned the word brittle before and that's something that I always associate with functional testing. So I'm mm-hmm. curious, you know, how are you thinking about that problem of front-end tests historically being prone to to breaking when they're not supposed to break?
2: The great thing about doing UI testing in Chromatic Well, firstly, the testing is really granular, right? Because we're testing at the component level, we're able to isolate most of everything else and really just zero in on testing the component. And secondly, because the inputs to the component are really tightly controlled, they're very strongly mocked out. They're not changing. They're not random, but they're not changing very much. And so that gives us an environment where we can really have a very strong reproducibility between test runs. And we can eliminate a lot of that flakiness that comes from other forms of testing, you know, when you're testing the UI, which is a, there's a complicated stack running underneath the UI. There's the browser, there's the network layer, there are services that provide the application logic. And so we're we're able to eliminate most of those sources of flake and have tests that aren't very brittle.
1: You know, in this space, LogRocket is based in Boston. And so we hear a lot Mm -hmm. about the work that the folks at Mabel are doing. Um, There's a few other companies I've seen in this space, like there's one called TestEam, And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you're familiar with these products, like how does the approach you guys are taking differ, compare, and contrast from some of those tools? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, you guys are taking a bit more granular approach and working at the component level versus building a generalized solution. So what are the pros and cons of that approach?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. The tools that you mentioned are primarily focused on sort of end-to-end sort of black box testing components and functional testing components. And those kind of tests are, are valuable and important in a development process, but they're also the most expensive to maintain. They break often because, you know, if someone changes the login flow, for instance, and now all your tests break because the end-to-end tests can no longer log in properly. And that's just a very contrived example, but there's a lot of interconnectedness and moving parts. And so where we differ is sort of going back to our previous conversation about riddleness is we zero in directly on the components, we eliminate most of the dependencies, and we're able to focus on that. And then secondly, I'd say that our tests run really, really quickly. n 10 tests are, are very slow. They simulate a user clicking around. Whereas because we're testing at the component level, we're able to parallelize your entire test suite essentially and run it usually within less than a minute, no matter how big your code base is. And then finally, I'd say that we can also zero in on very specific changes very easily. So your components are usually described by way of stories, which are these sort of test cases that are very specific. And they'll say something like, you know, the user profile page with an avatar included and a missing first name, for instance, or whatever, like that might be a test. And so if something goes wrong, we can tell the developer, oh, Something's gone wrong exactly in this spot. You don't have to sort of dig through the n end test run, watch videos of it, kind of figure out sort of exactly what led to the issue that you're finally being told about, because in Chromatic, you find out very, very quickly exactly
1: what occurred. So going back for a moment to the idea of component-driven development... I've used Storybook quite a bit in the past, and and I am a big fan. And one of the sticking points that I've experienced Mm -hmm. on teams where we've used Storybook is that CSS is a leaky abstraction. And so Mm -hmm. you you have styling for individual components, but often if you're not careful, a component and the way that it looks within a application is not a reflection of just the styling of that component. It, It is due to the cascading nature of CSS. It's being affected by the the CSS or around it, so to speak. So yeah. what do you see as the future of styling for components and component-driven development? And then maybe in a broader sense, like what is the future of styling and front-end applications?
2: Yeah, I'd say developers have been moving away more and more from from CSS because of that leaky abstraction problem and moving towards more CSS and JS techniques where rather than providing a global style sheet styles are targeted sort of directly at the the component level and also kind of imported and used more like a software library might be rather than this sort of big global mess and i'd say that's very much in line with the future of css in web components css is part of the shadow dom so it's sort of isolated in that sense and so that's definitely the way that i think
1: css is going Got it. And when you say Shadow DOM, are you referring to like the Web Components idea of Shadow DOM and using that encapsulation? That's right. Got it. And so I'm not super familiar with kind of where Web Components are today. So maybe could you give a bit of primer for folks like me who are not in the know there?
2: Yeah, there's some controversy developing around Web Components because they've been sort of pushed for a little while as sort of the next generation solution to UI APIs in the browser and folks are sort of now starting to realize that those APIs are maybe a little bit less polished than ideal, a little bit clunkier than ideal. And so this idea of web components as the future keeps sort of getting delayed more and more. It's, it's sort of almost like cold fusion in some ways. <laughs> but we hold out hope that this idea of having a more sort of unified approach to building components is where we are going. And that's sort of where web components hopes to, to end up. Because, you know, I think it's it's not great that we're all building components in Vue or Angular or React or what have you, and we can't easily share those components. And that's somewhere actually where, where we'd like to make a, a strong impact at Chromatic because, you know, we really do want to open up that level of, of collaboration between all UI developers, no matter sort of what their preference for component syntax is.
1: So you've built a really great thriving open source community around Storybook. And I know you previously worked at Meteor, which is another company that I think Mm -hmm. did open source community really well. So maybe you could talk Mm -hmm. a bit about your approach to community building around open source repos.
2: You know, I've watched open source develop over, you know, sort of decades now. And it's it's really sort of shifted, I would say, in terms of where it began. It, It was more sort of small groups of really highly experienced engineers sort of building software together, often foundational software. To whereas now it's, it's gone, I would say it's gone mainstream. There are a lot of people sort of participating in the open source community, and a lot of them are fairly new developers, and open source has become essentially the bedrock for building software on the internet. So that's been an interesting evolution to watch. And I'd say one of the, the key takeaways for me from the Meteor days was having a much more kind of hands-off approach to open source as a company. Meteor was very much sort of built in-house and then sort of given to the world. And then later on, sort of before I joined, but certainly after I joined, we, we made a lot of effort to try and sort of reverse that and make it more of a community-led effort. So I'd say that's definitely something that I, I've learned and, you know, where we differ. If you look at the Storybook project, we're very kind of hands-off and very light as Chromatic even though we do fund a lot of the development, but we try to make sure that the community
1: sort of guides the direction and feels like it's it's theirs, which it really is. And how do you balance, like, sometimes I imagine the desires of the community might slightly diverge from your vision for, you know, maybe you have a five-year vision for Storybook, but community may just need certain things now. Like, how do you kind of balance when short-term community interests are not fully aligned with the long-term goals of of you and the vision that your team has for the project?
2: I'd say Storybook is very much a sort of foundational layer and it has an add-on API and we try to keep most of the work inside add-ons and on, on that side of the API. So it's actually not something that we've really come across very much so far. The great thing about open source is folks come along and they scratch their own itch and more often than not, that itch is a very strong product signal that like, hey, this is important. This is somewhere where you should be spending effort. And so we we kind of use open source, I'd say, in that way as well, as just let that guide our development and our roadmap. So we don't have necessarily a five-year sort of strong arm roadmap for a storybook. We let the community in a big part sort of guide it. But then where bits of the project become opinionated, we try to make sure that that's inside add-ons.
1: So you started this company and you know Chrome was a commercial entity and you're the stewards mm-hmm. of the storybook project, but then there are thousands of people throughout the world who contribute and I assume are not affiliated with your company. So mm-hmm. how do you build trust within the community and... There's been many examples in the past of Microsoft or other type companies that have become involved with open source projects and the outcome has not been great for the community. So I know there's Mm -hmm. sometimes distrust among open source contributors when there's a commercial entity also involved that's funding part of the development. So how do you think about building that trust and being transparent with the community members? We've made a
2: really big effort to make sure that Chromatic doesn't have an unfair advantage in terms of companies that are building on top of the platform. So that's something that we've done. And we've also tried very hard to make Chromatic a very separate entity, right? So Chromatic, the company, Chromatic, the commercial service. Versus Storybook, the open source project, even the, the name is completely different. And that's something that we consider all the time when we're making product decisions or marketing decisions is like keeping that separation really strong because we do think fundamentally that it's important for Storybook to remain a community-led project and not to be strong-armed by a corporate interest. The fascinating thing about open source is that people spend time and money scratching their own niche and building what they need and then releasing it to everyone else. And in some ways, as a, as a corporate steward of the project, we're really no different. We're just sort of an entity that has a lot more hours to put into the project than anyone else. And so that sort of also guides the way that we see ourselves rather than a contributor that maybe has you know 10 hours a week to spend on it, we, You know, we might have a hundred. And so naturally our effort is gonna be greater because we're spending more time
1: on it. But other than that, we hope to create a completely level playing field And for Chromatic specifically, tell me a bit about your business model and, you know, how you're thinking around, you know, the continued growth of the company.
2: Yeah. So we're first and foremost excited about component-driven development and components and more broadly speaking, UI development. We see UI as being the shared language between customers, between companies, their stakeholders. It's sort of how everyone interacts with software now. And by shared language, I mean, you know, customers will say things like, when I click my profile and, you know, I try and change this, it doesn't work, you know, so they use it to describe what they're doing in an application. And likewise, companies use UI to explain how to use their products. So it's this shared language. And to us, that's tremendously exciting. And that's the space that we're very interested in shaping and innovating. And so to bring that back to our products, Chromatic is a cloud-based multiplayer environment for component development. We believe components are fundamental to UI development. And so we're looking at workflows that make component development better, right? So testing is a really important one that we've built so far. Review, I've talked about that. Sharing and discovery of components is something that we're working on. There's already a little bit of that in the platform, but we have really just started, started looking at it. And then anything that sort of makes shipping components more efficient is what we're working on in Chromatic Land. And in Storybook Land, it's mostly all about developing and, you know, building components. So that's also the way we think about where,
1: you know, where to focus our efforts and where features will land. And more broadly, what are you most excited about over the next few years in the world of front-end development?
2: I think I am really, really excited about, and we touched on this earlier, the idea of more unification between view layers, right? And more sharing of components. I think reinventing the work in your own sort of view layer, it doesn't make sense. And it goes completely against the idea of open source, which is, hey, don't reinvent work, share instead. So the thing I'm most excited about is being part of the movement that sort of creates that sort of unity and that layer of of sharing on the UI level. And I'd say that frameworks like React and Vue have been the biggest step in the last few years, sort of moving
1: towards that that idea of sharing more UI code. And if you could wave a magic wand towards that problem of mm-hmm. unifying the the view layers or making components more shareable, like would everyone in the world just settle on React and call it a day, or would web components help encapsulate components so that people can write in their in their view layer of choice and bring in components that are written within a web component in another view layer? Like, what does that perfect world look like to you?
2: Yeah, it's definitely the latter. So where web components becomes more of a compile target of sorts for the view layer of your choice. So we all, you know, have different preferences. We prefer different syntax and different sort of philosophies. But ultimately... Once we're done sort of building our components, according to those preferences, I really do believe that they should be sort of compiled down to a very minimal set of primitives that are then kind of shareable and and plug and play no matter what people's preferences for building them
1: are. With that kind of encapsulation and to some extent duplication of things like styles or even view layer JavaScript code, like are there negative consequences for performance and bundle sizes and, and... things like that or is there a world in which we can have the best possible developer experience and also lightweight fast javascript apps
2: i think that there is and that's the world that we're trying to build you know if you were trying to do this today and share components between sort of angular and react for instance like it is possible it is technically possible to do that but you're still going to have to load the angular framework and the react framework and possibly quite a few other dependencies and so you know, that's where we're at today, where that's that's an issue. But, you know, in the future with this sort of compile target, you know, web components sort of model,
1: we might be able to get away from that. I'm certainly hoping that we can. As am I. <laughs> and I'm curious to learn a bit about your background before you started Chroma and were involved with Storybook I know you were an engineer for much of your career, and then um, most recently you were at Meteor, right? And I'm really mm-hmm. curious. Your title at Meteor was customer success, so mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, what did that look like at Meteor, and how did your background as an engineer help you in the customer success side of the Meteor team?
2: So, you know, throughout my career, I, I would say in the last decade, I began to sort of drift towards sort of business, customer focus, sales focus, product focus, away from from engineering and as part of that my two current co-founders tom and dominic and i started a web development consultancy an agency called percolate studio and still doing a lot of development back then but i was also the client facing person and so i would try and bring in new business and get contracts signed and work with our clients that way meteor ended up acquiring our agency which is how we joined them And so the first role I landed at in Meteor was also a customer-facing role in terms of building out their support and customer success group. And so that's why I was the director of customer success there. I was based on that background.
1: And what were a couple of learnings you took from that role in Meteor that have been helpful as you've built Chromatic?
2: Yeah, I would say obsess over the customer. You know, I, I heard a quote from Jeff Bezos recently, which is, something along the lines of you know at Amazon we're scared not of our competitors but of our customers and that you know we've all heard of, about how Amazon is such a customer obsessed company and I, I really fully have adopted that mindset myself as well and I'd say that running customer success at Meteor was also very like pivotal in feeding into that mindset I think if we all listen to our customers more we just build better software.
1: Cool. Well. Thanks so much for joining us, Sultan. I really enjoyed the conversation.
2: Thanks for having me, Ben, and uh, good luck with the podcast.
1: Thanks.
0: Hey, it's Brian again. So it turns out that running a podcast is maybe harder than we thought. And so I kind of want to hear from you. I'm genuinely interested in your feedback. We have to think about new topics, new guests. We have to find them. And don't get me wrong, we can do it, but it's a lot easier if everyone else who's listening helps. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or volunteer to be on PodRocket, we'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by going to podrocket.logrocket.com slash contact hyphen us. The hyphen is next to the delete key if you're curious. If all of that is too long, you can just email me directly, brian at logrocket.com. That'd be great. Also, if you're feeling magnanimous, be sure to like and subscribe to PodRocket. Thank you.